My name is Wendy Nguyen. Um, I'm the co-owner of Artemis, a premier CBD shop in uh, New York. I'm also a content creator in, a fashion, uh, in the fashion industry for the last uh, 10 years with a fashion blog called Wendy's Lookbook. You're listening to the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Hey, everybody. This is Jason Wilson with the Curious About Cannabis podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again. Uh, so, today, so today, I'm really delighted to be chatting with a new friend of mine um, that owns a CBD shop in New York City called Artemis. I'm with uh, Wendy Nguyen. Thanks so much, Wendy, for coming on the podcast and talking to me. Gosh, Jason, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, totally. I'm very, very excited to um, talk to you about your experience. I'm always excited to talk to people that are in other areas of the country that are working with cannabis and to hear about that experience. But also, um, you have a very fascinating and I think important story and message that I look forward to um, helping uh, share with our listeners that um, as we get into it, it's something I'm very passionate about, about a lot of the work that you do that goes well beyond cannabis. Um, so um, this is an interview I'm just very, very, very excited to have. So I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> so to start us off, um, some of the folks that might already be familiar with you, it would probably be, if not from Artemis, it would be from a website that you have called Wendy's Lookbook. So just to start this out in case anybody listening or watching um, isn't familiar with you, um, can you just explain a little bit about Wendy's Lookbook and and then we'll get into talking about um, how you came across CBD and Artemis and, sure. and all of that. Sure. Uh, so about 10 years ago, um, after, gradu after graduating from college, I started working in a bank and um, I honestly loved my customer, but I just didn't find necessarily my job to be rewarding in that sense, more sales. Oriented. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then I quit and wanted to do something creative. So I took a metal making class, a jewelry making class, an acting class. Oh, wow. Yeah, just everything. Um, yeah. The number side. Um, and I fell in love with acting the most because I thought it was just free therapy. <laughs> I get to go in there yeah, right. and um, play different characters and really get into the zone. And I would pick the most troubled characters because I just thought mm. that just resonated with me the most. Um, and at the time, I was dating um, a guy who was really into filmmaking mm -hmm. and, um, and photography and everything. And he suggested that he would just record me when I was doing one of my rehearsals and stuff and just post on YouTube. And I yeah. thought, okay, well, I wanted to add value. I didn't want to just post, you know, on <laughs> YouTube. And I've always loved fashion all my life. And I thought, you know, hey, let me figure out a way to make fashion more approachable. Um, so the concept of Winnie's Local was born out of that, um, where we would film little segments, uh, tutorials that would really focus on different ways for you to reuse, rewear things that are in your closet already. So that was the oh, wow. birth of Winnie's Lookbook. And um, at the time, there was no fashion videos, very, 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 very small amounts of fashion video, focused extra videos um, mm -hmm. on uh, YouTube. And I think I was probably the second channel that launched with just being a fashion channel. And four videos in, um, we decided back then I was also living in San Francisco and it's very, very cold later in the year. And I love, love scarves. So we decided to film a video called 25 ways to wear a scarf. And, um, and that was filmed in the like Brady Bunch style where there's 25 of me on the screen. Yeah. yeah. Each other and, and just, you know, share ways to wear a scarf. And, uh, that video went viral and that launched my, um, YouTube career in that sense. 
Um, mm. And uh, from there, I got picked up from an agency and I started, uh, you know, generating content on the blog as well. This is way before Instagram and all of that. Um, mm. And that was just the birth of that fashion journey for me, that Instagram launch. I was on Instagram too and Pinterest and everything else too. Um, so I've been doing that for basically 10 years now. Yeah, I was going to say, what year was that that you posted that scarf video? Do you remember? Gosh, I think it was maybe in 2010 or 2011. Wow, yeah. It might be back then. But, you know, that video has traveled more than me. You know, it's been to yeah. everywhere in the world. Um, <laughs> you know, I remember you know, for me to give in a little bit about my own, you know, kind of mental processing and psyche. Every time when there's good news, I always think spam or like there's something wrong, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when that video went viral, my, my inbox blew up and I thought YouTube was down, you know? And then that was like a few people <laughs> were following for that reason, but it went from fit, like 500 views to a hundred thousand views in oh my gosh. overnight, you know? And I think now wow, it has like, 40 million views on that video. So this that video is still used to this day with when it comes to basic scarf pairings and just warm weather, um, sorry, cold weather, um, styling and everything too. So it's still going on on its own. <laughs> wow, that's crazy how fast that can uh, that can happen. I, you know, just started the uh, Curious About Cannabis YouTube channel not too long ago, and I've been trying to wade through the... Uh, I don't know, the complexities of trying to be seen on YouTube. It's it's so different than it was, you know, like 10 years ago or so. It's just as far as it sounds like you got in um, at like the perfect time. Because I remember um, a long time ago playing around with YouTube and not really understanding how you could really do much with it at the time. And, you know, now I'm like, wow, what wasted time because... <laughs> it's that was that was like a prime time you know yeah before instagram and and all of that and now i'm having to learn all of these tricks you know in order to um kind of uh catch people's eye and be seen there's all sorts of things you have to do with the thumbnails oh, to yeah. i mean all that uh, is definitely needs to be taken into consideration but if you remember too when youtube was born that piggybacked um after reality television right and right right and uh, was the first time you saw someone speak directly into the camera. So it broke the, mm -hmm. you know, the, the wall and everything. And yeah. for YouTube to kind of go back and ride that wave, it was perfect timing for people to really connect with people online outside of their traditional favorite television shows that they've been watching for so long. So right. it was, I, I was very, very, I count my blessings all the time, but I'm very, very lucky to get on that right when it started, you know, and yeah. I remember when we were starting YouTube and also blogging, like it was purely out of passion. It was, it was you know, a hobby because no one paid us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, we couldn't. Right, right. Right back then. Um, so we had our savings or I had my savings from my bank job and everything that carried me over. Um, but it was really done because we really loved it. And, you know, I was talking to Colin, um, who is my uh, co-partner, co-owner of Artemis as well. You know, starting CBD feels like starting YouTube for the first time again, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The farm bill just passed. We literally built out right after it passed. So it felt mm -hmm. like journey was happening again. And I'm very comfortable at the beginning of something that it hasn't been explored. Riding the wave. Yeah. yeah and, and like, yeah. So that it's been a journey. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Well, this segues really well into, um, you know, my next question getting into the CBD thing. Um, when did you first 
learn about CBD and what kind of, what was it about, about that, that kind of caught your, caught your eye? Yeah. So, you know, every night when I would edit all of my content for my fashion uh, channels and platforms, I would have something playing in the background and usually it's, mm. it's usually documentaries, um, you know, a lot of just very um, entertaining, but also educational. And at the time, maybe it was about two years ago, I, I call and turned on a whole bunch of vice episodes. It was mm. a kick. Yeah, back then. So yep. all just lessons about cannabis and the journey about cannabis and all these people taking cannabis for their own health benefits and their mm -hmm. benefits. And while I was watching it, it just for some reason connected with me because I've been on pharmaceutical medication for the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. so I have pelvic spasm. And to be honest with you, they don't really know what it is. They think it's pelvic mm -hmm. spasm, um, but it mimics an axe just like a UTI. So every time when I have these episodes, interesting. I'll, yeah, I mean, it, honestly, it's I'm still trying to figure out to this day. Yeah, I've seen a bladder specialist, a pelvic floor therapist, uh, every medical doctor there is out there. They can't really find anything, um, but the the symptoms mimic a UTI. So what they do is that they'll just put me on antibiotics. So I've been on mm. antibiotics for the last twenty years, um, and usually it's every day. So there was and do the antibiotics actually actually help? It does. You know, it does. So clearly yeah. it's a, you know, bacterial issue, you know, so the antibiotics mm -hmm. help. Um, but what they don't understand is that why am I getting so many of these? So I, I would right. get, you know, twice a month. So about 24 episodes a year. Um, but wow. the, the thing was that every time when they put me on antibiotics, as you know, over time, I would build tolerance. Mm -hmm. So there was a point in time where I was taking them every day because I kept them building tolerance to every other ones that they were giving Gosh. me. Right. Yeah. Um, to the point where they gave me sub-therapeutic doses. So they would give me a small amount of antibiotics that I would take the whole, every day for a year. At the time, if it, it sounded great, um, this was maybe six years ago about. And then I realized because I was doing that, I built even more tolerance to everything else <laughs> when I had my bad episodes. So it mm -hmm. got worse and worse and worse. And um, I remember um, going to see a physical therapist and he was like, you know, you should see a pelvic floor therapist just in case if they can connect the dots for you. And I was in, you know, the pelvic floor therapist's office and I was filling out the pre-questionnaire and everything. And 90% of the question was about a trauma that happened to you. More than mm. anything, it was a sexual trauma that happened. And I couldn't, and I was thinking, why am I here and why am I filling out all these questions about my past? I thought I was here to get my floor examined. And I learned right. with my own experiences that, you know, pelvic floor, uh, you know, damage or issue was mostly collected, you know, connected to a pelvic floor trauma of, of, of anything, whether you fall and your pelvic floor mm -hmm. broken or sexual abuse or anything like that. So all that really gave me a broader picture of what I was going through. And it wasn't the UTI that we're talking about. It's, it's something larger. Right. So seeing these vice episodes, I thought maybe I can supplement what I'm going through and using cannabis or CBD or whatever the time was. Um, but that was always in the back of my head. I never actively sought out these things. And um, we were actually in Amsterdam for a for a job for my fashion side. And I thought, we're in Amsterdam. It's it's kind of the capital of cannabis. Right. Um, and I was telling Colin, I said, can you take me to a cannabis cafe? Because I'm right, yeah. Right? And I said, maybe I can find something there. Um, he took me to a few cafes. And I was 
so confused, Jason. Like I didn't, <laughs> I, they gave me a list of things. I didn't understand sativa or indica. Like no one taught me any of that. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. yeah. And then I didn't understand if smoking was better. There were no tinctures available. There was edible. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I felt so confused and lost more than anything else. But that really ignited my interest into just the journey of exploring what could help me. So when we came back home, I went to a few hemp stores because this, you know, cannabis is not um, mm-hmm. legal here in New York. A few hemp stores, same issue. There's a lot of flowers yeah. everywhere. I just didn't understand anything. Um, and then I went to California and San Francisco too. And I just felt so confused. And I think my frustration with the traditional pharmaceutical route transferred into this cannabis exploration where I was still confused mm-hmm. and I didn't know what to do. And I started doing my own investigations. I read as many books as possible. I read your book too as well. Uh, Of of everything. I I listened to everything. I watched all the documentaries possible. And I was hoping that I can curate my own experiences and also understand what the, you know, value of CBD was and what what there is out there. And I think from all that led to the birth of Artemis. Wow. And, And when did Artemis officially open its doors? You know, we had a soft launch um, in April, and then we closed for a week to re-examine kind of the flow of the store. So we had our official launch in May of last year. So it's, okay. been, you know, basically a few months now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you'll be coming up on a anniversary here in several months. Right, right. That's exciting. Yes, it is. You know, when we opened Artemis, we were, I think, the fourth CBD store to open in Manhattan. Like, like, oh, wow. Yeah. Not like in a, you know, in another shop or like that really dedicated mm-hmm. shop. Um, and we looked at every other store too. And, you know, Artemis is curated. The subsections of Artemis really walks you through your own journey. If you were to look at CBD. So hmm. well, if you're ever in New York and you come into store, the first section that you land is curated by it, by ailments or by issues or, you know, by mm-hmm. therapeutic relief that you need. And then there's a huge education board next to it. And then there's another wall that curates things by categories, by forms. So all the edibles are in one category, all the gotcha. inhalation, everything. Um, and then it's curated by experience. So it's by t- titration. Like that's our third. So we mm-hmm. went to mirror my own frustration as I was going through these stores, not knowing what to look for and what to Right. Do. And that we feel that other clients are probably going through the same issue. So a lot of times people come in and they treat the store as their own menu system that they'll go, I have this and I want this and I need this. And then we will go, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. It's very intuitive in that sense. You can quickly hone in on the options that are probably best suited for, for you. That's, that's really fascinating. And have you gotten any, and this, I'm asking this because of experiences that I've had with some CBD companies out here on the West coast. Have you had any flack, um, from any regulators in New York about the CBD shop or like discussions about ailments and that sort of thing? You know, we haven't had any uh, so far. Um, we're actually right next mm-hmm. to the police station and actually they come by. Oh, wow. That's like, great. Mm-hmm. They come by quite often. They don't know much about CBD either. So um, I think for us, and they're really looking for pain relief for their parents more than anything else. Yeah, um, yeah. So we had lots of officers who come in. We'll talk to them about everything. Um, but we hadn't had honestly much issues about that um we do have a you know an, an fda you know little snippet in the store too to make mm-hmm. right and um but for us it's much more about just 
really walking you through your own journey and your own experiences mm -hmm. and finding the best solutions for that. And that might not be with us. It might be with a dispensary. If you need a little bit more mm -hmm. see for whatever symptoms that you're trying to relieve. So in the store too, we're actually the only CBD shop in Manhattan that has a chief medical advisor, which is Dr. Janela Chin. Mm. Um, we work very closely with her to make sure that if we can't provide the relief or the recommendations that the client needs, that we can actually refer them to her. Um, and then we also work very closely with Etain, which is a dispensary in Manhattan that's also women-owned. Um, so we try very hard to walk you through your whole journey with yeah. CBD going up to more THC-rich concentrations um, because, you know, that can be very frustrating when you go to a dispensary and you don't know what you want. So having all these checkpoints for you can give you just the best experience. And also, I think, for you to curate your own experience, right, for you to monitor all of right. that closely. Yeah. So a lot of times when clients need a little bit more THC for whatever it is that they need, they'll call us first to see what they should take, and then we'll work with the dispensary. And then we'll work together to give them the best balance. Because you might not need a one-to-one. -one, you might need whatever. I'm just saying it. Like a 15 to Right. Right? And if, if right. the sponsor doesn't have that, then how do you mix your own solution in that sense? So it's very empowering. Oh, yeah. Right? So it's, it's very empowering for the client side. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking is um, it seems like in general your whole setup based on your experiences is all about empowering the customer to be able to be in charge of their own path towards trying to deal with whatever they're they're dealing with right exactly and to rewind a little bit so when you so you're watching vice you learned about cannabis and and how it was helping people with different things um what was the first cbd product that you tried oh that's a great question <laughs> it was new leaf new leaf yeah and what was the form was it a tincture, tincture. yes exactly yeah uh, tincture, um, I didn't know it at the time, now I'm much better um, at just knowing, you know, the carry oils and how it interacts with my body. Yeah. I also have a very, very sensitive stomach. So mm -hmm. I actually, MTT oil does not do well for me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's just, you know, it, it's just not good for my stomach in that sense. So I was very fortunate that when I did start on Newly, it was hemp seed oil as a carry oil. So mm. it didn't interact with any of my stomach issues. Um, given my own personal experience, whenever there's someone who comes to the shop, I check any allergies that they have. Do they have IBS? Do they have mm -hmm. any stomach issues? Because if they do, then we'll curate the carry oil to them too as well, which is kind of how I did mine. Um, so the first product I tried was New Leaf. Um, it was on a 15 ml bottle at 725 milligrams. So New Leaf's dropper is not measured, but it's, dro it's measured by, by dro a drop, like each drop. Yeah. Drop of New Leaf is 2.5 milligrams. And oh, okay. yeah, so I remember I read all the books. I said, I'm going to microdose. And so I started with five milligrams first. Mm -hmm. It was stuff therapeutic. So I didn't really feel much on five milligrams. And yeah. when I was doing new leaf, I had an episode, a really, really bad um, mm -hmm. pain episode. And I said, okay, five's not working. So I just took 50. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah. 50, which was not a good idea. Um, it, it worked wonders. 50 was incredible for me. It really helped with my pain. Um, I also had a patch on too as well. So I was taking 50 milligrams twice a day. I was documenting everything. Um, and then I realized that after three or four days, it stopped working. Like it was mm -hmm. perfect. And then it stopped working. And then I went back to Dr. Junella and I said, what's happening? Like 
50 was great and then now it's not working and she said potentially you might have capped out on your tolerance you went you went up too high mm-hmm. now your body's just not processing it correctly in, in that sense and so we right. to another formulation for me and that one had mct oil which i didn't know mm-hmm. it myself right so my own journey with cbd i've recorded everything and i've realized someone needs to at least give me much more of a helping hand when i first started and that's why we're so much more careful when it comes to our clients at Artemis. So we really want to make sure that we're with them the whole time. Um, yeah. But now I know what my therapeutic dose is. Whenever I have an episode, I know what that is. And then I, I would just go back to my, you know, my microdosing um, periods after that because 50 milligrams gotcha. was perfect. And then when I don't need it, I, I just don't want to go that high in that sense. Right. Yeah. yeah. And with the MCT oil issues, does that cause like nausea and vomiting or is it just more just an irritable bowel kind of thing mm-hmm. it's more like yeah it feels like my stomach's being squeezed and it turns a little bit you know interesting yeah, yeah. um I, i've tried everything i've tried doing it after food uh, mm-hmm. i'm doing it on a full stomach i've tried uh, putting a little bit of honey and uh peanut butter to soften it a little bit too mm-hmm. um you know, I think all of our lives, we're very busy, right? So for you right. to say, I got to eat first, put my butter in, put, in, put, in, you know, put my peanut butter in, and then take my CBD oil, you're not going to do it. You're just not going to do it. So right. for us, you know, and for me, I said, it's better if I just take something that helps mm-hmm. make issues versus aggravate it. And that's yeah. when I really honed in to my carrier oils. But, you know, for a lot of times with my stomach issues, I, instead of taking CBD on a full stomach, I'll take it preemptively before I eat to help mm-hmm. with any issues that I'll have anyways when I eat. So wow. it, it yeah. goes both ways for me in that sense. And what other carrier oils have you tried? Like sunflower oil and um, think, al- alcohol, I assume. Right, not a right. carrier oil, but. Um, alcohol, I thought it stings a little bit for me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's, it's a little hard for me to take that. Uh, I've done olive oil. Um, yeah, yeah. The Bluebird has an olive oil, a one-to-one um, CBD to CBDA concentration um, that's worked wonders for me as well. Um, so what I do is I switch between New Leaf and, and Bluebird um, whenever mm. I find that I, my body might be capping out or whatever it is for me to transition. Um, so yeah. I would say for me, um, every six months is when I'll change back and forth. And so I'll do new Bluebird for six months and I'll go back to New Leaf for six months and, and I'll keep on doing that. Um, but um, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking, I want to find a black seed, a uh, carry oil to see how that feel. Mm-hmm. Um, olive oil is kind of interesting for me, at least, you know, all, again, I'm just speaking out of my own personal experience. Um, sure. Yeah. It makes me feel a little full. Like when I take, hmm. yeah. So interesting. it makes me not in a, not bloated in necessary, but it feels a little bit kind of full and hemp seed doesn't do that. So mm-hmm. Again, it's, I think it's really about how you interact with the formulations that you're taking, you know, right. best for your body. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Do you have any problems with shelf life in the hemp seed oil uh, products? You know, I take my CBD pretty regularly, so I don't, ah, okay. you know, I mean, it's, it's not on the table and then a year out later, I'm mm-hmm. it. so personally, I'm pretty good about managing the shelf life. Um, you know, with all supplements, we do advise our clients, you know, if you can take it regularly because CBD is accumulative, so your mm-hmm. optimal dose is going to be much more further out than the day that you're taking it right now. In that right. Sense. Um, but you know, with all supplements, we don't we don't advocate you know taking it out a year later after you buy it. You know, <laughs> yeah, right. And you know, right. a place that's cool away from sunlight and all that. But um, 
it, it's best if you do take it regularly. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. And going back to the dispensary side, so you open up the dispensary. What was, let's say, like the first month or so like when you open your doors officially and, and people are coming in? Um, what was some of the feedback you received and um, what were some of the lessons that you learned in those initial months? Yeah, a great question. Um, we were very, very lucky. I think we live in a very neighborhoody area. So everyone mm. knew each other, every other shop. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we were saying hi to everyone and everyone was saying hi to us. Um, what we did was very different is that, you know how when there's a store build out, they usually just um, would block the windows and they're building out inside and then they, they do a huge reveal. Mm. reveal. Um, we didn't do that mainly because Colin and I just had fun building it out. So people saw our yeah. building out as it was happening. Like they saw us moving things in, mm -hmm. they saw our decorations, what I was putting up. So in a sense, I think the neighborhood felt like they were on the journey with us versus seeing, versus having like a huge reveal when we were done. So they knew CBD store was yeah. coming. Um, they knew all that. Um, and they embraced it with open arms, you know, so that's something that we are very lucky to have. Um, and, you know, when we first opened, there were a few people. So in the end, I think for Artemis, we get clients who are very curious about CBD and we're the first stop. So they want all mm, yeah. inside, you know, they want to know everything. Or we usually get there where they're their last stop, where they've tried, like me, where they've tried everything. Um, they've tried going on pain medication. They've tried going on all that. Mm -hmm. They want to approach in much more of a natural um, plant-based approach. Um, and, and, you know, and we do get some clients are in the middle where they've tried it and it didn't work. And they're coming back for a, another option. Mm -hmm. But most likely it's usually the, the ends that we get, you know. And since we've been around now for a few months, we're getting more of the middle, which is they've tried their CBD in other stores, and now they're coming mm -hmm. for a second opinion, and they're coming to us for that. When we first opened, it wasn't like that. Um, mm -hmm. with that being said, we had people who were so supportive, and they're like, oh, we love CBD, want to try it, because, you know, my mother tried it, or my dog mm -hmm. tried it. Right, yeah. Anything. <laughs> At the other end of the spectrum, where they came to challenge, which was, you know, what, what are you guys doing? This is not FDA approved, um, mm. safe at all. Um, so we saw the breadth of clients that we were getting and, you know, and we really honestly appreciated the support and also the criticism because mm -hmm. it helped us grow as a brand. That just meant that we had to read a lot more books. That just meant that we had to provide a lot more educational tools in the store. And we redesigned the store actually twice to meet those demands, right? Um, before when we first opened, our education board was very limited, mainly because we didn't know what we needed to say, uh, as in what was helpful for our clients. Um, but we did that education board uh, probably a month after we opened because we realized this was the need that, that they were having. Mm -hmm. um, and also we designed it to have a, a section where there's books available now. So your book, oh, great. you know, like, so oh, yay. people can come and sit there and they just can read and that's fine with us, you know? So now we have that. Um, and as we were developing, um, we started really working very closely with Dr. Jill Chin. So mm -hmm. the education side came much more, um, I think, full breath uh, later on as mm -hmm. we were responding to our clients' needs. Um, and with that being said, too, when we redesigned the wall, titration was something that people didn't understand. Titration was something that I didn't understand when I first started. Yeah. You know? And we realized, too, that you know, reading milligrams to volumes to you know, it was very, very confusing. And a lot of times when clients come in, they'll be like, I'm taking the CBD oil 
and it's not working. And we'll go, okay, um, how, how much are you taking? A whole droplet. Like, what does that mean? Right. We don't know. What was the bottle? We don't know. So we realized that the math was very important, that there, there needed to be a little bit of more guideline um, on, on you know, intake and all that. So we designed a section of this shop to be very focused on titration, which is that you know exactly what you're taking, what formulation you're taking, what brand you're taking. Um, and then we started designing um, you know, little uh, serving guides for our clients. So every time when a client walks away, they're walking away with a serving guide to, to, to couple with whatever product that they bought. So all of that was really the feedback that we got from all the clients interaction that we had at the beginning of, um, of Artemis. Yeah, man, that's great. The The math thing is such a big deal because I've run in that, into that myself many, many times where you uh, just recently even just uh, members of my own family, they'll bring products to me and they're like, what do you think about this? And, um, and you know, we'll talk through what they're doing. And if I say, how many milligrams are you taking? It, it, that's usually the response. I'm like, I don't know, half a dropper, dropper. Exactly. And um and so that's usually the beginning of the conversation. It's like, well, if you're trying to find relief, the first thing you need to understand is what is your dose? Um, without knowing that, how are you going to replicate it? <laughs> you know, if, um, especially with the way that the CBD industry is right now with brands changing a lot, formulations sometimes changing a lot. Um, you've really got to be able to decipher that and then the next conversation that usually comes after that is we have a conversation about cannabinoids and terpenes and trying to understand the chemistry of uh the product that someone's taking but that's um, right and i think you know sometimes i have friends and also clients in the store where they you know they love edibles but I'm like how many milligrams are you taking on the edible and they're like a pea size i don't know you know again we don't know what that <laughs> you know what that trans right like uh... yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is it like um a rice, you know, a rice size. Right, a rice, right, green, yeah. What what type of rice? <laughs> so in that sense, we we try our very best. And for me too, as well, because I'm monitoring my own pain relief and, and my mm-hmm. own um, CBD journey, that that whole section is, is very, very important to understand your dosing and what your therapeutic dose is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And when you got hit with the criticism how did you um, how did you respond to that when when folks were coming in and um, were very skeptical about what you were doing and, and everything? What was your general response? You know, um, we always try to figure out, you know, standing in their shoes, what is that experience right. for them, right? So, you know, for me, a lot of times when they come in, they're like, oh, you know, this is not FDA approved. You know, how are you selling these products um, and making claims like that? You know, for us, we try to. We acknowledge, we understand, but we also give perspective. Like, for example, yeah. someone like me, um, if I walk into a Sephora and buy, you know, you know, a supplement, it mm-hmm. is not FDA approved, right? And they're selling it at Sephora. There's no COA attached to any of these supplements. Um, how do I know mm-hmm. what's actually in it? Uh, probiotics, the same thing. You know? So, yeah. So we try to make comparisons like that, where in on the cannabis and also on the CBD side and the hemp side we're very active and very vocal to making sure that you get all the information that you need. Yes. FDA approval is, is a part of it. And we want to, to make sure that it is regulated in a way that benefits everyone, you know, um, but in general supplements are not FDA approved. Um, right. I, I think once they, they hear that where they're buying their vitamins at whatever, whatever they're buying and they don't have COAs and they don't have mm-hmm. that approval, then they can connect it to this and go and understand where the side is coming from. 
know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. One thing that I do with, um, so I consult with CBD companies sometimes um, about, uh, usually more about like quality management, how to ensure their products are consistent and safe and everything. And, um, but we also get into FDA compliance issues too. And one of the things that I'll do is I'll show them the FDA rules that list what medical claims can actually be made about um, materials that might would be in supplements. And it's very, very, very few. Like people are always surprised when I pull it up and you know they expect to see quite a long list because you because people are accustomed to seeing at grocery stores and anywhere you see these supplements and you see what they're used for there are statements on the bottles about these things but um, very very few medical claims about supplements are approved that's not to mean that any claims about supplements are then wrong you know it's just part of the regulatory model the way it is right now and it's something that um I think what you're doing is good because I, I caution people, you don't necessarily want the FDA to have to approve every single thing that you could put on a label either. I mean, it's important to have the FDA statement say, you know, this is not intended to treat a disease, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you really wanted the FDA to approve every single thing that, you know, goes on a dietary supplement or even a cosmetic, um, then you wouldn't be able to say anything. Right. <laughs> I mean, coming from the beauty and fashion side too, when it comes to cosmetic products and beauty products, you know, the the blacklisted um, ingredient list in the United mm -hmm. States is very, very lean compared yeah. to, you know, other areas of the world. Yeah. You know, yep. a part of me, I think you have to be a smart consumer. You have to empower yourself to know what works for you and yeah. not necessarily like understand there's guidelines, but not necessarily this is not the spoken word of what you can and cannot use. Right, right, exactly. It comes back to, I think, empowering the consumer to know what they're buying is yeah. exactly what they're buying. Well, and this segues into another really important concept that I wanted to cover. So when you and Colin are looking at brands and trying to evaluate who you want to showcase in the store, or when you're talking to customers and trying to explain to them how to evaluate a product or a label or everything um how do you how do you approach that specifically yeah so for artemis we curate by coas only so plans mm -hmm. look beautiful others honestly are you know are great you know but they're not packaged beautifully or whatever it is uh we really don't yeah. care about that uh, we just really care about the coas um if there's if they're testing for, for everything, you know, because in the end, that's what the consumer is going to be ingesting and buying. Yeah. Um, not only that, but we also want to make sure that the COAs match the label on the bottle. And, <laughs> you know, uh, most of the time, it's great. Other times, it's not, where we've caught a lot of things that were very different. Um, lab reports do not match the bottle that it claims to be, the milligrams are off, um, mm -hmm. times by hundreds. You know, it's, it's quite scary in that sense. Um, and sometimes they'll say there's no THC and there is THC and, and other times it's not. Mm -hmm. So we, we try very hard to be very close to all the brands that we carry to make sure that we have an updated COA every time we have a new batch, um, and to make sure that it's truly what's, what's in it. Um, so mm -hmm. then that's how that messaging we then will share with our clients. Um, for example, if they're coming in, they're looking for something more, um, you know, something that has a little bit more THC than a product that the, the ratio is a little bit different. We know the ratio to most of the products that, that that's in the store. 
Um, and so we can talk in a much more in-depth way. I want, you know, whatever, a 30 to one, which is, you know, the, the standard of mm-hmm. 3% THC, or I want something that's a little bit less than that. So we'll, we'll curate that whole process with them. Um, and if they have any stomach issues, then we'll, we'll curate the carry oils with them too as well. Um, yeah. And then, so I think the messaging and also the actual lab reports translate directly to how we communicate that across to our clients. You know, And, and I think it's, it's, it's a process. Like they, some clients come in, they're like, pick whatever, I'll take it. And we don't do that. Like we, we don't go, <laughs> try it. Like, you know, if you're in a time rush, we can give you a quick little snippet. But we really want you to be involved because, again, we th- we have to manage expectations. So when they come, yeah, yeah, you know, we'll we'll spend anywhere from thirty to forty five minutes with with the client to go over everything with them as much as possible. And you know, women interact with CBD different from men, right? So if yeah, you yep. can document your cycles, you know, because when you're ovulating, your anandamide levels are higher than when you're not. So yep. maybe you don't need as much, you know, um, mm-hmm. when you know, when, when you're menstruating and you have your period, you might need a little bit more. So we try to curate in, in that sense too. Um, and because, you know, we're actually the only minority women-owned CBD shop in Manhattan, we have a dedicated women's health section that other stores, you know, don't have. So yeah, that's great. We, we try very hard to, to make sure that we meet all of the demands of everyone who's walking in. Yeah, no, that's awesome to hear. I love the approach, the focus on quality, quality products, effective products, the medical education, you know, and beyond. I'm really stoked to hear all of that. And I know um, when we were talking before we started recording, we were also talking about um, journaling. Yes. And um, I know that that's something that you always encourage uh, people to do as well. Yes. Uh, that I was really excited to hear. Yeah, you know, I think journaling is, is a process. Um, it's not glamorous and it's not quick. And I think right. we're not used to that, right? Because everything, <laughs> you get right away. Like you want something, you get it right away. And you want results, you know, you hopefully will get it right away. And sometimes, you know, when they, when people learn about CBD, sometimes it can be just a um, an adjacent lesson from THC. So they're smoking, they're going, yeah. I got high that night, right? CBD, you might not feel anything the first day. You might feel something, you know, yeah. the second week that you do it. So managing the expectation is very important. That's why journaling is so important. So we always advocate, you know, microdosing, starting with a low step therapeutic dose and then increase, you know, through the days to make sure you reach your optimal dose. But that mm-hmm. process takes time. So when yep. a client comes in, we, again, going back to, you know, making um, parallels to other parts and other things that they're doing in their lives. But for example, if you were to take probiotics, you know, the first time you take it, it's not going to help. You might find yeah. the optimal result at two months, right? Yep. The CBD might be a few weeks. Um, that's something, same thing for hair loss. If you were to use Rogaine, mm-hmm. you're going to find yeah. the result at six months to a year, right? Not the first time right. you take it. So I think giving people parallels puts things into perspective. And they're much more engaged right. in the process than just taking it and leaving. Exactly. Yeah. And it, it, it makes, it makes it way more relatable. So it's not just this like alien substance that, you know, (laughs) they have heard about, but have no way to put it into any conceptual box to make sense of it. Right. And then, you know, journaling, um, for me, it's helped tremendously. I also understand what carry oils works for me from journaling. Um, I understand, you know, outside of the dosing side, but maybe what terpene profiles I really liked compared to others. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what I don't do well in. So 
I think it's, it's, it's good and bad that you know what products work for you, what formulations work best for you. Um, and, you know, we, we provide these serving guides at the store. And another thing that's like titration, I think, is a some people they're used to that. And others is a very foreign concept if you haven't mm-hmm. done it for yourself. So usually yeah. our, our parallel to titration is that, you know, um, I've been on anti, uh, antidepressants when I was younger. I took Laxapro. And, mm-hmm. Oh yeah, familiar with that. Yeah, so <laughs> that what they they gave me five milligrams at first, right? and then they checked in on me a month later and gave me ten milligrams. And they're like, "How how you how did you feel on five versus ten? And I go, mm-hmm. oh, "You know, yep. I like ten a little bit more, but some days, you know, the triggers are pretty bad, and you know, I still get my panic attacks." Like, okay, we'll give you fifteen now, right? And that that's another month out. Then they'll check up on me. Yeah. So that is titration. That's done mm-hmm. under the supervision of a psychiatrist. Um, you are doing that yourself now when it comes to CBD. You're titrating and recording everything yourself now. Um, yes, it's much more of an involved process, but I think it's a very empowering process because you really understand your body a lot better after you do this. So I think after we make that kind of analogy, they get, oh, I get it. Like before it was with someone else. Now I'm doing it myself. So right. that's been really helpful to have these kind of um, parallel points that they can understand how to do and implement that in their own life. Yeah, well, and that's such a timely message because I just, the last um, behind the scenes interview I released on the podcast was with Dr. James Taylor, a pain physician in North Carolina. And he was talking about this too, that with his patients that are trying to treat chronic pain with CBD, some of them don't, like, they'll think nothing's happening until sometimes even a month or two out when they're using it. And so it takes a lot of um, patients to like get to that point. And even there was, I, I believe it was some of the epidiolics research showed that um, it took up to sometimes 10 weeks before effects would plateau, you know, and they'd sort of not see any changes anymore. So I think it's a really important message for people to understand that. And it's like you said, this applies with so many things. It's not just CBD, but you, you don't know how something's affecting you until it's been a part of your lifestyle for a while. Yeah. And, and so, can't make rushed decisions. No, no. And I know it's a very, um, you know, unglamorous thing to say now in the world that it's everything's available at your fingertips, but it, it, right. it does take time, you know? And, and another thing that we also do is that we always say, you know, if you can dedicate a month to two months to taking it regularly, and if you can yeah. just stop, just stop for a month or two months and then compare your time without taking it to the time that you have, that you took it and journal through the whole experience. And if you find that CBD is something that you need and something that's helpful for you, you know, when the periods that you're not taking it, you can reflect on those periods and see if it's yeah. working for you or not. So I think just really being very much more client focused and making sure that their health is a priority, not the product, has made these conversations very enriching when it comes to client care, right? Because yeah. it's really hard to go in a shop and go, don't take it. Like, you know, take it for a month, don't take it. <laughs> Right. Do that because you don't know until you try it, right? If it's not beneficial, then then there's other ways for us to help. You know, we can connect you to an acupuncturist, we can connect you mm-hmm. to um, another physician, you know, a dermatologist or whatever it is that you need. But that time period is necessary for you to find if this is something that's helpful for you or not. Yeah. And on a, another side of this, um, because I know you're so involved with like fashion and beauty as well, have you um, been involved much in CBD in that realm, like with uh, CBD-based cosmetic products? 
Yeah, you know, we carry a few at the shop. Um, you know, so as of now, you can't advertise CBD on you know Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, right, right. So the only way for you to share your message is you do collaborations with influencers or other brands mm-hmm. that you know that you brand aligned. Um, so I think the marketing potential of CBD is a little capped right now compared to other markets yeah. that worked in with right. beauty and everything. Um, but there are a few uh, CBD-focused beauty brands, you know, that's out there. I personally use them myself, so I can do mm-hmm. it in a more personal level. Um, but there are a lot of clients who are interested. I think I'm curious to see what the next research steps are to help with acne and to help with yeah on the skin, you know. And I think we're gonna see a lot of it more, a lot of it introduced to the market. Um, and there's some of them that are full spectrum, and there's some that are not, right? So. Mm-hmm. All of that, it, it, I think it's going to be a very big move in the beauty market. So I'm hearing buzz around it right now that they're going to slowly introduce the CBD side to their product selection. Yeah, well, just just the concept of acne creams has been on my mind for a long time, ever since I, when I was writing Curious About Cannabis, and you know that was the antibacterial effects and antiviral effects of, of CBD. That was something that stood out. I was like, why isn't there a CBD acne cream? And I know there are some products now, and like you said, they're kind of building in popularity slowly. Um, but yeah, that was something I wanted to ask you about if you had any experience with that or um, had gotten feedback from anybody that was that was using CBD in that way. Did it actually seem, does it seem to help um, affect oil production and that sort of thing in the yeah. skin? You know, so um, right now, currently in the market, there's much, there's uh, CBD beauty focused products that are oil based. So it's usually mm-hmm. like um, basically oil or a beauty serum or whatever it is. Right. But not necessarily in like a cream based, right? Like like a treatment based. Gotcha. Or in that sense. So I think a lot of times clients, when they have acne, their association with oil means more oil. Like if you right, right. face, it's going to produce more oil, right? So <laughs> right. that's the association. So to break down that association to treat acne with oil is, it, it takes some time for people to get used to, you know? Um, if, you're, if your skin issue, I think, requires much more in, intensive care, we do suggest you taking it internally. So take it um, as a tincture and also mm-hmm. topical me- uh, method too as well. Um, yeah. yeah. I find that to be, for me personally, the best approach. Um, mm-hmm. So as much as we advocate taking it for a period of time and then stop taking it, I did that myself. So I took it for eight months straight and then I stopped taking it for two months to see what were my mm-hmm. and all that and the first thing that went was my skin my really oh yeah very like you know I that was the first thing I noticed my skin wasn't as healthy wasn't as um, internally glowy not talking about before, mm-hmm. like internally glowy um as it was when I was on it when I was actually interesting like yeah as, as yeah yeah so that was my Outside of the pain management, of course, uh, that was my biggest motivator. I said, I'm going to get back on the <laughs> Really, nowadays, whenever I meet people, that was the first thing they say, like, your skin looks naturally glowy. I'm like, honestly, nothing's changed. But my, just the incorporation of CBD in my life, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. You're the first person I've been able to talk to that's really had um, experience with CBD in that way. So um yeah man that's super super interesting um maybe i'll have to start putting cbd cream on my face and see what happens but i i i wonder and a lot of times when i'm thinking about this 
I wish there was a way for us to measure skin collagen production or, uh, yeah. you know, all of that with people who are taking CBD internally. You're not, yeah. not, not a topical product and see yeah, yeah. is a measure that can help with skin conditions as well, you know. Um, but as a bonus, I think that's great, right? You get to treat your problem right? and have glowing skin. That's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, let's... Um... Changing gears a a little bit, I want to talk about, um, and we'll see how this spins off, but how did you choose the name of your CBD shop, Artemis? Yeah. So Colin and I were talking back and forth, and we we wanted something that had roots in a very uh, familiar but very kind of ancient way, you know, and Artemis, the goddess of health, the goddess of fertility, the the goddess of womanhood. Um, And since we were you know, the only women-owned store in mm-hmm. wanted to represent that with, you know, our branding as well. So I think that kind of bloomed into who she is, who the woman we wanted to see, yeah. right? Because this woman is also protecting other women in, in her life too. Yep. That was our kind of our audience. Um, and we wanted to surround that ethos as much as possible, you know, having a yeah. reaction, uh, working with Dr. Neil Chen, who's also a woman, you know, doing um, the Etain partnership, who's also woman-owned in that sense. Um, and everything at the store had just themes of nature around. Yeah. Um, Artemis is there. Um, her hero tree is actually a cypress tree. So we have two little cypress in the stores, you know. Nice. Wow. And she's the goddess of the wilderness. So we have birds everywhere in the store. So there's lots of greenery in the store. Um, there's lots of old books in the store rooting back again to something that's familiar but yeah that's new in that sense yeah um but everything happened very naturally and very organically and we wanted um so the our logo is actually the stag which is again artemis hero animal um and we wanted to incorporate cbd in that in that so the head of the stag is actually the head of the compound and the antler compound but spun you know duplicated wow yeah so we had a one um chemical <laughs> in and he's like oh my gosh i see the chemical you know structure in your logo and i said thank goodness someone noticed because that was <laughs> part of our branding we really wanted yeah in a much more um you know much medical much more scientific way and that mm-hmm. built into our logo too as well yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to go back and look at it now. I hadn't caught that. That's great. Yeah. And one of the reasons I ask is um, what I thought of when I first, when I learned about your story and learned about the store and saw the name and everything, I know that you're a very big advocate for juvenile justice. And one of the things that popped in my head when I saw that and why I wanted to ask you why you chose the name was because I know that Artemis is also known as like a... Um, protector goddess for children and particularly for for uh young women and so um that was another thing i wanted to bring up to see if um the choice of artemis connected to your personal story and your mission for you know supporting reforms to juvenile justice systems foster care systems and that sort of thing i'm just so incredibly humbled and thankful that you saw that because that was not necessarily an active part of the branding. That was just the DNA that we, that we breathe, you know? Um, wow. Yeah. You know, wow. you know, that Artemis is just a part <laughs> of who we are and who she is. And 
that was just what we were doing. You know, we don't, we didn't really think about that side of it. Um, But I think for me, protecting young women has been, and will ever be, will always be an ongoing mission. Um, You know, when it comes to juvenile justice, we have to rewind back and understand why are these, you know, young youths and kids um, being placed there in the first place, right? Yeah. Most of them are from broken homes and most of them are from foster care. So Mm -hmm. when, you know, with me being in the foster care system, you know, I remember um, meeting with my social worker and there's a lot of things that needs to be changed within the foster care system. And I hope that's better now than when I was back in it, you know, in, in the nineties and and early two thousands. But, you know, I saw my social worker once a month, maybe, you know, we barely Mm -hmm. talked and she took a few notes or whatever it was. But one thing she said to me that changed my life was that, and I was very happy that she was very blunt and very honest, um, mm-hmm. you know, for you guys, meaning foster kids, um, 30% of you will, women will be pregnant by the time you emancipate, 30% will be homeless and 30% will be incarcerated and 10% will make it and make it meaning, wow. you know, barely getting by, you know, and then mm-hmm. out of that, maybe a few of you will actually succeed. And I was terrified of being homeless because I, I knew that I wouldn't do anything wrong in a sense to become pregnant because I wasn't dating. It was just my focus was just to make it out alive. Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to get myself in trouble to be incarcerated, you know? So I, at least I could control those two elements in my life right. um, by being very, just being home all the time and just kind of buying the rules, but being homeless, something that was very real to me. So going back to kind of art of mission, most of the kids in um, the juvenile justice system are a product of foster care mm-hmm. and their choice of being incarcerated or homeless, it's very real. You know, I actually worked in a, um, in the highest security uh, juvenile um, detention center back in San Francisco when I was living in San Francisco. Mm. I was actually a teacher in there. Um, so I, wow. I, and now I work from the outside in that sense. And, you know, every, honestly, it was maximum security. It was an all boys unit. Um, not necessarily by choice for me because it was the closest detention center that I was living next to at the time in San Francisco. And most of my students were from foster care. You know, they had their interaction mm-hmm. with foster care at one point in their lives or other, and that led them to where they are now. So all of those pieces were very real when I was going through it. And now, you know, it's just always on the top of my mind to make sure that we do our best to make sure that kids don't go through the same or have the lack of opportunities that, you know, that the system is built on. And it's unfortunately it's still the exact same thing. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and what was that transition for you like? Because uh, from my understanding of your story, you entered the foster care system uh, fairly late at like, what was it, like 15 years old, something like that? Um, so uh, for me, I, yeah, I was taken out of my home at um, about 15 um, and I was placed in a group home uh, for six weeks and four days. It sounds like, you know, when we talk about group homes, it's almost a real sentence. You know, like I know exactly what I was in and out. Um, and then after that, I was placed in a foster home. So a mm-hmm. group home, I think, is just a soft way of saying um, an orphanage. All the kids get yeah. trapped yeah. into this, and then they get shuffled out in whatever district that they're in. And, um, you know, the foster home that I was placed in was very close to my biological family. You know, so I didn't understand this growing up. 
because I thought if the abuse happened at home, why is my foster home so close to my home? You know, right, so right. You realize that the system is built where they advocate um, re just reuniting with your with your biological family. That's the first priority. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- and if it's not healthy, then separation is the second priority. So I always thought that was very counterintuitive because that scared the heck out of me all the time because I felt like they were just so mm-hmm. close that they can come back at any time to have those abuse happen again, you know, but as adults, I understand now. Um, but, you know, for me, I was sexually abused when I was five. And then again, when I was 12 and again, when I was 14 from different family members living in the home. And I remember at 15, I told my parents and I said, I can't live like this. Like I just, they mm. saw everything. I mean, I told them everything. They saw half of it. And I said, you know, I can't live like this. And I, there needs to be some something to change or whatever that is. And they just didn't take action. And I knew if I were mm. at home, my life would be very, very different. You know, um, I tried yeah. suicide when I was 14. Uh, I tried doing it again when I was 15. And so I just, I think for me, it was if I, to be alive, I needed to get away from the situation. That was it. So yeah. I called the only person I knew who happened to be a teacher. Um, she was, I think she was an elementary school teacher. To be honest. I don't remember what she was teaching, but she was a teacher. And by law, as you know, you know, your family, you have family yep. that are in, in the teaching education side. Yep. Uh, they had to report the abuse. And so when I, you know, I was a runaway, basically staying with her and she reported the abuse in this. So social services got involved and they opened my case with the investigator and that became a huge, the, the, there was two criminal charges against two, my, two, my cousins. And it was a lot yeah. too. Um, I had no idea that the moment I left the house to stay with her, this was going to happen. I thought yeah. I was going to stay with this woman who's going to help me. And then I'm just going to go home. Like some, cause you know, right. yeah, at the time to the social, my school call social services a few times and they would visit the home because there was also physical abuse from my father, but um, they'll call, you know, they'll come to the home, they'll check up on me, they'll write a report and mm-hmm. leave. So I thought it would be the same thing this time, though someone's going to come, write a report and then leave. Mm-hmm. I had no idea that I was officially placed in foster care at that moment. So I never saw my family again after I left and that was it. And wow. My family didn't want to see me again. So it was kind of, it kind of worked out. But at the age of 15, I just couldn't understand anything. I, I just under Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I just couldn't understand anything and I couldn't understand why this was happening. And that there was a, a criminal charge. Like I didn't understand any of that, you know? And, mm-hmm. but because of that, um, I had to be placed under, um, psychiatric care. Yeah. I was diagnosed with depression at 15. I actually didn't get treatment until I was 20. And then I was oh my gosh. With PTSD when I was um, also 15 and a half. So, mm-hmm. you know, when you were young at the time, I thought I was gonna grow out of it, you know, like, Right. Yeah. It's like, it'll pass. Yeah. It'll be fine. It'll pass, you know, whatever. And I didn't realize that was going to catch up with me 10 years later. And I'm still, you know, dealing with it now. But no one tells you that when you're, you know, five or 15. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I can only imagine how, you know, the the anxiety, depression, you know, all of that. I just, I have my own struggles with with some of those issues so i can empathize um with what that battle is like because it it doesn't just go away when life gets good (laughs) 
I mean, I think for me, I never, every time when life gets good, I think my mechanism is always to think it's going to get bad. Yes, and yes, I, exactly. Because that's always been kind of my life journey. And I've been so blessed, honestly, with everything that's happening now. I always think it's going to crumble. And living like that is not healthy long term. I think it motivates you. Yes. It makes you vicious, right? It makes you go forward. Yep. But that internal kind of low-level stress that happens every day, thinking that everything is going to crumble any day now, it's not a healthy way to live. And I didn't understand a healthier way to live until much later in my life. And, and to deal with all that stress now, you know, but, you know, before every time when, if I'm in an elevator, it doesn't matter where I am. If I'm in an elevator and the door opens, I have an anxiety attack. I always think my parents or my cousins or on the other side. Oh, yeah. That's what happened when I was going through my court cases. They're always there. Mm -hmm. So I, I just didn't connect the dots until I got old enough to understand it's not a good mechanism to respond to a stressor like this. And yeah. also, like, what, how can I manage this where it can open and they can be there or they cannot be there, but I'm still okay. You know, like, not yeah. that. So I think my journey with just seeking a more natural way has blended in with my own coping mechanism of how I deal with all the trauma that's happened. Mm -hmm. And what were some of the changes that you started to make in your life to deal with some of those internal feelings and thoughts, um, that anxiety, the, the panic attacks, what were some of the lifestyle changes that you began to make to address that? That's a really, really good question. You know, um, I think for me, I learned, this is probably not the healthiest Jason, but it's, it's <laughs> you know, I'm just quite honest with you. Um, I learned that if I can zone my energy into keeping someone else safe, I feel safer. So Believe it or not, having a cat for me changed my life because I thought mm. if I can protect my cat, I feel protected myself because no one protected that little girl in me mm -hmm. when I was younger. So if I can transfer that, then maybe I can work through my own issues too as well. And given that I have, I have three cats now, but when I started with one, that really changed my perspective on things. That I, when I see that he's happy, I can go, Maybe no one was there for my little girl. Someone's there now. It's because it's mm -hmm. not the same mechanism I'm employing with my cat. So I'm okay with that as an adult, you know? So I think having those conversations has been very rewarding and has been very therapeutic for me. Get as yeah. Um, I also think that, you know, I got off the antidepressants, um, you know, when, back then when I was very young because I didn't have insurance. I didn't know how to mm -hmm. get it afterwards, you know? So I started cutting my pills until I was weaning myself off of it. Um, and I, I knew what it felt like. The good thing about that journey for me was I knew what it felt like when there was that storm always over yeah. you, right? When you're walking, yeah. there's always cloudy, it's always rainy over your head. And you don't know how to get rid of that cloud, no matter how hard you try, mm -hmm. exercising, hiking, <laughs> and you cannot get rid of that cloud um, until that chemical structure has changed, right? So when I was yeah. on the antidepressants, I saw the cloud lifted. So I was able to see what happened when I had the cloud and when I did not have the cloud. Ah, uh, yeah. Right? When there's symptoms of the cloud coming, I go, ah, I get it. It's coming. Yep. And now yep. resolve it because I know what's like not having it there. So I think that has been a huge just reflection point for me in my journey in that sense. Um, and the introduction of CBD, I think just really empowered me to get my life back on track. 
Mm. I went from having 24 episodes. um, And, you know, honestly, growing up and youth being in being in foster care and also being as an adult, preventative care was never something that was on top of my mind. I, I used to, I can't, I never was brought up with that. I was never trained. So when I got, yeah. I would see a doctor, right? But I did yep. like take vitamin C to not get sick when I was young. Mm-hmm. So that transferred into my lifestyle as an adult where yeah. an episode, I see a doctor. And then they prescribed me something. And I thought he knew everything or she knew everything. It's going to work. That's it. So that response system was always ingrained in me until I realized it was not working anymore where the doctor <laughs> couldn't help me find the solution. Yeah. And from my perspective to change from relying on someone to being my own advocate yeah. was the biggest change for me. And that was when CBD came in to help me with that. So now I'm much more preventative. Like I take CBD. I also take um, Demandos, which is an anti-inflammatory mm. um, supplement too as well. Uh, you know, I, I try to move as much more of that side as possible. And within the last year or two, I went from 24 episodes in a year to two a year. And oh, wow. that never happened in my life. Yeah. I went from every day being on antibiotics to only being on, on antibiotics last year in 2019, just twice. You know? Wow. Yeah. So I know it works because th- I've tried. You've lived everything. it. Yeah. I lived it. I tried everything and it did not work. And this to me, has really significantly improved my quality of life. Yeah. When I get my episodes, I still need help. So I need, mm-hmm. you know, something stronger. But my biggest priority is not to have them at all. You know, until right. get there. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. I went through a similar series where I don't, I don't know exactly how many panic attacks I was having a year, but they were very frequent and um, went through a very similar change um for me um right before i moved to oregon i had gone through a bunch of uh, drug trials for my pain um and through that had been put on some antidepressants for off-label use for chronic pain um that whole drug trial experience was traumatic of like let's try this and it wasn't as slow as um what you were describing, like for my chronic pain drug trials, it was like every two weeks I would try something else. So it was pretty fast and it was, they were pretty strong drugs. Like at one point I was taking steroids and I was like, why am I taking steroids? I can't take steroids forever. Um, but <laughs> regardless, um, I was put on steroids. I was put on antidepressants. I was put on, um, muscle relaxers. The only thing they didn't do was put me on opioids. Thank God. Um, but pretty much everything else I've tried, um, to treat chronic pain. And then, um, I discovered cannabis and realized, um, at the time, besides some of my, um, mental health stuff that I was, that I was struggling with, um, I was having these back spasms that would lay me out for days. Um, and it felt like someone was just kind of like driving a knife into the lower middle part of my back. And um, it was a really big problem. That's why I eventually went to go get in these drug trials and figure out something that would happen. But I realized I started using cannabis and realized that as long as I had cannabinoids in my system, 
all of a sudden I wasn't having having those back spasms anymore. And it took me a while to like make those connections. And and then um, I moved to Oregon and became a medical cannabis patient and then was able to really see it. And like I would get feedback from my wife. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to stop taking it for a while and see what happens. And the back spasms would always happen again. And eventually my wife was just like, what are you doing? Like you've learned your lesson. Just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, but I noticed too, with the the mental health issues, my panic attacks, uh, the frequency went way down after it took a while, but after a while it went way down and now they're fairly rare. Um, I'll maybe have one, yeah, once or twice a year usually, but it used to be very, very frequent. I had trouble going into uh, stores when they were busy. Um, I'd feel like it would start off with me feeling kind of claustrophobic and my heart starting to race and um, and then it would spiral from there. And But now um, I have uh, basically these um, CBD tinctures or what I really like is like a four to one ratio of CBD to THC or something like that. But um, that I use pretty much every day just to maintain a balance. And I don't take a lot, but, you know, it's like just enough to keep it in my system so that I'm at this baseline rather than what I was at before, which was, it, it was, it was horrible. It was genuinely horrible um, to live like that. And I, I think it's just, it affects every area of your life. Yeah, Not the, it does. Right? It's, it's everything else that surrounds it. That's, I think that's why it's such a, a hard thing to live with because it really does transfer so much, you know? Um, but you, I mean, pain management wise, like going from 24 episodes of pelvic spasm to two, I thought was, I never thought that was possible. I thought yeah. I could live on antibiotics for the rest of my life until I couldn't do it anymore, you know? Um, but because of the antibiotics, it just completely ruined my gut flora. Like my, yeah, yeah. Right. It's like, I, that's why I'm probably rare. That's probably why I can't do MCT oil. <laughs> right, yeah, probably so. You nuked your stomach. Yeah, yeah. So my stomach is always a mess. Like I'm always not like there's snots everywhere. And I don't I can't tell if it's the knots from the antibiotics or the stress. Like it's really hard to thread out the difference mm -hmm. now. Um, but it's it's just not healthy to live in, in that cycle over and over again, you know? Um right. as so I think for me it was when I was treating my pain, I saw the benefits with my anxiety. I saw the benefits with my skin. I saw the benefits with my skin. Mm -hmm. I saw all that. And I think, you know, and like you said, like for me, I do a 30 to one every day. Um, mm -hmm. And then when I have, when I, because I, I can feel my episodes coming on. I'm not sure if that's the same. Yeah, yeah. Back, back, like, no, yep, no, yep. So I can feel a little bit coming on. And if that comes on, I'll switch over like to a one to one. Then I know yeah. that's kind of like dampening it. And then when it gets really bad, then I have to up. It's more yeah. rich. Um, and then I'll go back down when it, and I don't need it. So it's, I think it's just, I enjoy living like this more because I just don't want all the other side effects that the antibiotics was causing me in, in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was just, it was, it was not good for every other aspects, you know, food and eating and anything else. Right. Yeah. And, and there's such an intimate link between your gut health and your mental health. You know, they influence each other. Um, so yeah, in really profound ways, um, yeah, the gut health can really affect a lot of areas of your life. Um, and going backwards a little bit to the juvenile justice thing, didn't you start 
and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but didn't you start a, I don't know if it's a nonprofit spinoff of Wendy's Lookbook, but you're doing something now, right, to, to support juvenile justice reform? Um, so I'm on the board member of Insight Writers, which is, which is okay, that's a organization that I also support too as well. Um, when I moved to LA, I just couldn't find an organization that was that mirrored what I was doing in San Francisco. Um, and LA, the teaching program was different than San Francisco. So I, at the time, I couldn't get into the teaching program to teach inside because I was doing inside work a lot more. Gotcha. Yeah. To do outside work, which is um, what Insight Writers is. Um, and what we found working with, or, you know, Insight Writers is that, you know, a lot of times, and this is, you know, foster care, juvenile justice, uh, you know, anything. Um, when it comes to a nonprofit, a lot of times their their funding is tied with a particular purpose, right? This yeah, is right. only available for education. This funding is only mm-hmm. available for X, Y, Z, right? And that's how they can disperse their funds. And yeah. can be very limiting, but also very empowering for a lot of nonprofits, So, which I completely understand. So the foundation that we started was very responsive. It's really what it is. What the what the youth or, you know, the foster care, um, you know, young person needs will respond to it. There's there's no it's personal funding, so it, it, there's no strings to anything. Gotcha, yeah. A bus pass, they get a bus pass. There's no two layers of authorization mm-hmm. for a bus pass, you know? Yeah. Um, if they need housing, because you know, in, in LA housing is actually very, very tough. Um a lot, and you know, some some of our youth, if they are transitioning, they might be placed in a homeless shelter. But for homeless shelters, there's actually a waiting list, so you just don't show mm-hmm. up. Homeless right, which a lot of people do not know that. A lot of people assume that yeah, you just show up and you've got a place. Not how it works, and not only that, if you're a family, you can't you cannot get in as a family. So usually, homeless shelters are divided by gender. So either an all women's shelter or an all men's shelter. Mm-hmm. There's very few family shelters. So usually the kids are separated, either with their moms or their dads, but they're not together. And mm-hmm. they really want to keep the family unit together if that's what's the best for their family. So what we do is that we just work with local housing shelters and local motels and hotels in the area. And then we just basically pay a stipend. That's it. So if this family mm-hmm. needs a transitional home for 30 days, 60 days, 90 days before they get their permanent housing, then we, we just cover that. That's it. So what I really wanted to do was to have a seamless no brainer, whatever the person or the family needs, we get it. That's really all it is. Um, you know, we understand their situation. We fill out a little questionnaire, very, very basic. Um, mm-hmm. That's it. There's no other questions asked. There's no layers of authorization. There's none of that. So that's how we bridge the two. Um, and until they get their service that they need, they'll, they'll basically get transferred to a nonprofit organization that can give them much more of a long-term service. But we're there in between. Yeah. So that's really all it is. Wow, that's great. It's, I think people um, underestimate the power of just personal support, <laughs> being able to cut out the bureaucracy like that and just do what needs to be done. Yeah, and also I think, you know, as you know, like sitting on a board or, or seeing the internal workings of the business, it's a, you know, sometimes it's a little frustrating because the need is there. Yeah, yeah. Needs it and that kid. I, I, I think that they're kids because that's how I view myself when I was going through it, you know, but these are young, right. young adults. Um, but, you know, you know, these young adults need it and they're not waiting two months for you to sign off on it. There's just that's right. a huge, that's a huge difference that can impact their lives. So instead of having them live in their car or whatever it is, let's get them to the best safest area possible. And then they can transition off to doing whatever they need to do for their own health and for their own enrichment. Yeah. If, um, 
anyone right now is listening or watching this and feels passionate about trying to help with this cause, what would you recommend that they do um, regardless of where they might live? What are some things that people can do to try to help with this with this problem and, and give some of these kids and, and young adults some support? Yeah. So I think when it comes to foster care or just juvenile justice in general, I think for a volunteering perspective or a, you know, or a helping perspective, I think the, the biggest message for me is this. This is not a short-term commitment. It really is not. This is not mm-hmm. walking to necessarily the homeless shelter and then you distribute clothes or food for that day. It is not like that. Right. You know, foster kids, um, we come from a place where being abandoned is a real issue. So if you want to be involved, please consider a long-term commitment, at least six months, better mm. because we want you to be with us, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I had a CASA worker. I saw her twice, and that gave me a very sour taste with CASA because I never saw her again. Like, she just went off and did her own thing. I, I, I honestly don't know what happened, but um, my, yeah. you know, my um, social worker was rotated a few times uh, yep, yep. like everyone goes in and out of your life so much they need a constant you know foundation or system mm-hmm. that you rely on and depend on so please if you are considering getting involved in foster care or juvenile justice stay for as long as you can preferably six months to a year meaning that you might have to see this person once a month or once a week or whatever mm-hmm. so that is a time commitment that i think we have to manage expectation be very realistic that you know yeah um there's lots of local, local chapters in your area too that you can get involved in casa is a huge one you can be a judge appointed advocate my judge appointed mm. advocate changed my life um, i saw her less than i saw my social worker but the time that we did see each other was extremely valuable like she treated me like i was the only person sitting with her you know and that's very important yeah um, yeah yeah and then she showed up to all of my um hearings all of my, my my criminal trial. So I had two criminal trials against my two cousins. And, um, you know, when I was watching this, in, as in growing up, I also, I saw court cases and courtrooms through the lens of a television, right? Sure, yeah. So, you know, you have two sections and people sitting in the section. And when I was there, um, my section was completely empty. It was only three women in my life. It was my investigator, my attorney, and my court uh, appointed specialist sitting in on that table and that was it. On wow. my cousin's side, all of my family members were there, like just pulling up the, the whole thing. And then the juror, you know, the jury uh, was on my right. So all I saw was basically that. You don't understand sitting as a child, seeing those three women changed my life. So if you want to get involved, I know that, that my experience is very similar to a lot of other girls that are going through, especially in, in the juvenile you know, court side. So please consider being a court appointed advocate. You have to show up. You just have to show up. And you're yeah. always there, you know. Um, and other ways you can get involved is to be a donor. Find um, a great nonprofit that you really love. Um, ask what their field work is. You know, are they sending mm-hmm. people to, to the actual facilities that to, to visit these you know, young people? You know, that's very, very important. Um, and as a donor, you have the right to know all that, you know. So just get involved in that side too. But, you know, there, there's, you can be hands-on and be there, or you can donate through um, the power of, of, you know, of basically your money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great. I'm glad we were able to to share that. That's something that, yeah, I'm just 
very, very um, passionate about seeing changes to, um, I mentioned to you that I'm adopted, but I was adopted as a baby. So I, I didn't, wasn't put into foster care or anything like that. But uh, talking about your relationship with your teacher and everything, you know, my mom was a first grade teacher, saw a lot of foster kids and, you know, just kids and and young people just dealing with very intense situations that a lot of people take for granted. And so my awareness about um, those issues has been heightened in my consciousness for a long time. And it's something that my wife and I want to um, eventually adopt a child. It's something that I'm, you know, extremely passionate about doing just because I know that the, the need is there, if, you know, try to affect some change however we can. Um, to give people a better chance, and he, gosh, hearing the the statistics that you mentioned of what the um, the outcomes are for children that are that are in these systems, it's heartbreaking, really. I mean, particularly, I mean, I have a young daughter right now, so just imagining, you know, that that could be uh, an outcome for her that she'd only have a ten percent chance of making it out, you know, not being homeless or incarcerated or something, you know, that's just it's it's uh it's hard to even to even think about it just really breaks my heart so um if if you ever consider fostering that might be another um you know way to i mean for you too because you're considering our adoption i mean I, yeah i actually don't know what the legality is from foster to adoption because none of my right you know what i mean like you know like if, if you were yeah and you decided to adopt like how does that work because none of my foster sisters no one i've met in the foster system was adopted. So I don't know if that's wow. possible or if it's yeah. likely, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, but statistically it was true, Jason. Uh, I was in a foster home and um, when I was there, I, I saw seven other girls rotating. So in California, and I think it still is, is the same standard now you can have foster kids for every, every room that you have, you can have a foster kid in their room for every window that you have. So if your room had oh. windows, I think that's what they were saying. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not, yeah. we have two kids there and two beds, right? So we basically had uh, three foster uh, girls or sisters, the, you know, mm -hmm. the home. And then uh, one of them were, was actually a granddaughter of the, of the foster mother that had us. Um, and statistically, um, half of them went to jail. Were wow. All of them became pregnant, right? Um, and the other girls that were, were, you know, a lot of times too in foster care. And I, I get the hesitation from the foster mom side because I've seen it. Um, mm -hmm. Come in, they rotate in, and then, you know, they run away, and then you never see them again. And, you know, it's, it's actually yeah. a revolving door, you know. Um, but most of them who came in got out and were incarcerated. Like, it's, it's scary how statistically everyone fell into place. Yeah. You know, and, um, I mean, honestly, I don't even know if they're still, the last time I heard, I, I think they, there's, I think they're still imprisoned. I mean, if they're still incarcerated, I'm not sure. Wow. And also after you leave the foster care system, you don't have any contact with anybody. You're yeah. closed, right? And that's it. You can choose a relationship with your foster mom or not, but it's usually, if they don't want a relationship, they, they don't really pursue, you know? And then mm -hmm. foster sisters is just, there's no, it's very rare but you don't have any relationship with anyone that you grew up in that environment. Well, and I think that's another thing that most people, if they haven't been exposed to this in any way before, 
um, they probably aren't aware of that either, that, you know, you get to be 18 or is, is that the age 18 where the, the cutoff? Yeah. yeah. And then you're basically on your own. Um, it's crazy because I mean, if you think back to when you were 18, I mean, yeah, I know. Right. Like, what did you really know? Like, did you, have yeah. did you know how to apply for an apartment? Did you know how to apply for a job? Like, what is your degree going to get you in that sense? You know? Um, right. How do you expect an 18 year old to emancipate successfully? And then sometimes they'll just be incarcerated just for the sake of having housing. Which is, right. Right. You know? So I think all of that comes into play and, and that's why there is this very low success rates for any, in any foster care, you know, youth that comes out, you know, for me, because I was so scared of being homeless, I thought what was the most perfect way for me to get out was to transfer into a dorm because dorms give free housing. Mm, yeah. My mind was like, if right. and they had, so I only applied to college with, with dormitories because I needed a place to live. I couldn't do community college without dormitories because I didn't know how to apply for it. Mm-hmm. So I applied to every UC school there was. And I said, whatever had dorms, I'll apply there. I had no idea where they were. Like, I didn't even know what, what part of the state they were in. I just applied. Mm-hmm. And because I was a ward of the court, my application fees were waived. So that gave me mm-hmm. to anything. Um, and I was rejected by basically all of them, um, except UC Berkeley. Wow. And I was very, very lucky because UC Berkeley was the only semester school in California. That's mm. because it was a semester school. The school year started at the end of August. And all the other schools were on a quarter system, which started at the end of September. And I literally emancipated on my 18th birthday, August 28th. And Berkeley's first day of school was August 28th. I went straight <laughs> I went wow. in, into school. And that, you cannot explain that any other way. You just cannot. It was just the Monday fell on my 18th birthday. And that was the only, that was the only transition room I had. If I went to or got into any other school, I would have been homeless for a month. So yeah. it, it, I, I can't explain certain things that happened, but it, it did. And I'm so grateful for every opportunity that there is. Because of that. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I'm really, really, really glad that we've been able to, to share the story. I know there's got to be people out there that probably signing up to listen to a cannabis podcast and are going to get, get hit with uh, some heavier messages, but that's good. They need to. And um, I'm sure there's a lot of people that uh, will listen to this, that through one way or another, either they've been personally affected or know somebody that you know, has been affected by something like this. And, and hopefully this will be um, at the least bit inspiring, but um, hopefully it'll motivate people to understand that. I mean, this is a cause that does not get really talked about on you know, in mainstream media or something, I I never see this issue get brought up. And it's crazy because issues like this and education, I get the most passionate about because you're talking about affecting the foundations of people that, you know, it's going to affect them for the rest of their lives. Um, So, I mean, these are, to me, these are some of like the biggest issues that we need to confront. If we can't take care of our young people, um, and, and give them good opportunities for education and stuff. I mean, the rest are just band-aids. I feel like, you know, um, exactly right. And it will be more expensive for us to do it later. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Like preventative It's better to start and fix it versus trying to, you know, like you said, put a bandaid over it. Yeah. Well, you can, um, 
you and Colin can feel great in the sense that you're kind of, you know, you're like embodying the spirit of Artemis um, through your your lives and your store. Um, it's something to be proud of. Um, if you're ever in New York, please swing by, you know? No, oh, I, I definitely, I definitely will. I, my wife and I have been talking about trying to get out there for some time. We want to come during a winter because we really want to experience the, um, uh, even though sometimes it can be extreme, but just the the Christmas time yes. um, in New York is something we've always wanted to experience. I've been to New York City only once before, oh. and um, you know I did a lot. It was very touristy. I just walked to all of the major you know uh, destinations, and you know went up to the top of the Empire State Building and stuff, and did all of that. But now I want to go back and explore it. You know, just as you know. Um, just to see what's what's there beyond all of the the touristy stuff, and I think your daughter will really appreciate it. You know, like yeah, yeah, all the lights and and everything else too. It's 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 really magical being here. Also, just in New York State, like the Adirondack Mountains and everything, I really want to explore all of that as well, yeah. um, and just explore the whole the whole state. Yeah, yeah. Um, because yeah, New York City, Manhattan, it's it's sort of its own little bubble compared to the state itself. Right. That's right. Yeah. But please come. I mean, whenever you're here, whenever we're with, you know, in Oregon, we'll make sure to come by and say hi and everything too. But yeah, it's, you're doing such an incredible job and I'm so happy you wrote the book. Really. Oh, thank you. Yeah, really, really happy because we use, we read it all the time. We use that as a guide and it's just a very, the information that you share, I think people just don't talk about it enough, you know, and it's hard to, to Google all that. Uh, yeah yeah so having it all compact is something that's very you know adjustable to knowledge wise has been quite helpful for people like us who's trying yeah. to relay that message to the end consumer to the end client well that's that's great to hear i really appreciate that feedback that's you know as an educator that's writing the book my big hope was like i i hope this helps people learn and to be able to share with other people and what the way I described the podcast my my hope with the podcast is really just to inspire conversations that are happening you know beyond anything I'm doing just knowing that people are talking to their families and friends and you know in shops and you know all these places about this topic it's like well let's try to push those conversations in the most meaningful directions we can that's kind of my I don't know that's my overarching goal at least I think you. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So um, I have a one question I want to ask you that has nothing to do with CBD uh, or juvenile justice or any of that, but it's just a fun question for me. Uh, when I was reading one of your blog posts, I saw that you said that you learned English by watching I Love Lucy. I did. Is that right? Wow, you went deep. <laughs> <laughs> so... I grew up watching a ton of I Love Lucy. Uh, so I wanted to ask you, uh, do you have a favorite episode of I Love Lucy? I do. I, I love Lucy as, as a character. I, she brought so much happiness to my life. Yeah. She really, really did. And I just love her spunk. And I mean, and she was, you know, an empowered woman. Like she talked. She was, yeah. Right? Like she, she wasn't like yeah. that. So that, that was incredible for me to see. But I love the candy episode. Yeah, yes. Everybody was running and she had to eat all of that. I, oh, <laughs> yeah. she, I, she just blows my mind how much she shaped, how happy I was as a child. You know, yeah. it, it was just, oh my God, I'm so, 
that's crazy that you found that out. <laughs> well, when I read it, it just really stood out to me because I spent so many hours watching I Love Lucy. Uh, she's so, so funny. Even just, um, was that last year? Um, or the year before, my wife and I went to um, Universal Studios Hollywood. And um, I remember seeing a Lucy impersonator and I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to get a picture with Lucy. And then uh, coming back, we didn't see her again and I didn't get my chance. So I got to go back. But I'm a, I'm a huge I Love Lucy fan. My, my personal favorite episode is the uh, Vitamita Vegemin uh commercial oh my god yeah yeah that one cracks me up so much where she's trying to say this complicated word and has to keep drinking it and is getting drunk while trying to get through this commercial oh so funny no she's oh no so much joy that's and that's what i mean i i love that aspect about entertainment and content creation yeah you know like nowadays the episodes are shorter because everything exists on instagram right or it's right type of format but long format back then, I Love Lucy, like that was just a treasure. Like you get to spend whatever, 30 minutes sitting there and mm -hmm. happy that right. I kind of miss that. I, I better like go back to whatever other programming and do that as my background while I edit now. Since yeah. That, I remember that so much. That was, yeah, that was a joy. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I, for me, from that sort of era, there's Lucy and then Dick Van Dyke. I was a huge Dick Van Dyke fan too. Yeah. Just they were so funny and goofy and i don't know it's something that i just i i love so anyway yeah. that was that's my my fun spinoff oh, question for you thank you well thank you for having me I, I really really appreciate it yeah i'm so glad you're willing to do this and i know we've talked for well an hour and a half here on on this episode but then you know we talked for such a long time beforehand too i'm glad that we were able to carve out this time and um i'd love to talk to colin sometime and 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 um, yeah, any other stuff we can do together, just let me know. I'm happy to support you. Oh, thank you so much, Jason. Well, I can't wait, and Colin too, can't wait to meet you in person. Um, there's a lot of things that are changing in New York. So we'll update you on that too as well, because New York is, is definitely uh, moving in what direction. Yeah. Figure it out, you know, in that sense. But totally. Yeah, I, I hope this was helpful for your listeners. And, you know, and I, thank you so much for just sharing my story. And thank you so much for sharing your story too. Absolutely. Yeah. And and before we sign off, I want to make sure to give you the platform, let people know um, how to find out more about Wendy's lookbook and about Artemis and anything else um, that you want to make sure they connect to. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah. The, you know, the, the fashion side is just Wendy's lookbook.com. Um, Artemis, we don't have a website yet, but we're launching very, very soon. So just keep us on the radar and updates. Um, uh, you can find us on Yelp, obviously, you know, when you're in New York. And then our handle for IG is Artemis House NYC. And then that's when we do all of our okay. updates for the website and everything too. But, you know, we're kind of backwards because people usually launch with the website first and then the store, you know. But we're doing the mm -hmm. round because for us, it was so important to understand client interaction, client feedback. And how right. to translate that client experience onto an online store now has been extremely fruitful because that's paved the way of how we design the website now. So we're kind of almost working backwards in that sense. But I think it's going to be a better experience for anyone who lands on, on the website to understand that this is the same type of service you will receive at the actual physical store. Sure. Yeah, that's great. And you, and you have a podcast too. I do. Oh my gosh. So that's why this is <laughs> much better than I am. <laughs> I just don't do anything. Um, yes. It's um, Artemis Radiant. Yeah. That, that's our podcast. We sit with Dr. Junella Chin um, on 
all of the episodes, and we also sit with um, the head pharmacist that attain to as well. Um, and cool. Okay. Very um, kind of category and uh, supporting particular ailments that, that you might be experiencing. How do we curate that experience for you? Awesome. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, go check out Artemis Radio. I've shared a little bit about it on on Instagram, but a lot of times the content that you're talking about in there, a lot of times it ends up complementing stuff that I'm sharing as well. So I like, you know, directing people to both. And I'd like to to meet Dr. Janela Chen sometime. Um, she's, I know she, she's actually, I'm connected to her in a weird indirect way. I know she has worked yes. with some of, some of my colleagues. Yeah. 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 Dr. Kevin Spellman. Yeah. I think she's worked with him. Yes, that's right. That's right. No, I, you would adore her. She, you know, she is one of, it's so funny fact, when we first opened the store, we had a whole bunch of doctors coming in wanting us to sell her their books. And I always thought, oh, this is like, a, it's too salesy for me. I don't mm-hmm. want to sell people in that sense. And then I get an email from Dr. Janella Chen, and she's like, oh, I'm a cannabis physician. I've been doing this for you know, the last 15, 20 years. And he just, here's my work. And I saw all of her videos. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is such a, she has incredible bedside manner. She's so mm-hmm. and empathetic and everything. And then so we started talking organically. We're like, oh, let's just do a podcast episode together. And it ended up being, you know, basically more episodes and everything. And then the whole time she had a book and she didn't say anything. You know, oh, people come in asking us to sell a book and she has one. So, but I think that's why we just connected so well is that we really are client focused. And that, that was all we talked about all the time. And yeah. everything else became secondary, you know, and our relationship bloomed in that. But she's, she's just an incredible, she's always there for her clients and always there for us too as well. Um, and having her as our medical advisor has been really, really just incredible for the community. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I think you're providing a great resource the way you're approaching the shop and having her involvement and everything. I think that's very unique. So yeah, if you're listening and you're in New York, look up Artemis and check them out. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Wendy. I hope we cross paths again very soon. And yeah, thanks so much for contributing. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So um, if you want to learn more about the Curious About Cannabis pa- podcast, you can go to www.cacpodcast.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter, most active on Instagram primarily. We also have a YouTube channel for videos. Um, So look us up and just search for Curious About Cannabis and you should find us. Thanks so much for listening and have a great rest of your day. Thanks. If you want to learn more about cannabis, you can check out the Curious About Cannabis book available now on Amazon.com and other online book retailers. The Curious About Cannabis podcast is presented by Natural Learning Enterprises, a science education company dedicated to the enhancement of public scientific literacy through education about the natural world. Curious About Cannabis is just one of several learning initiatives produced by Natural Learning Enterprises. To learn more, go to www.naturallearningenterprises.com or connect with NLE on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter.